Amen. How great he is. How often do we just spend dedicated time just meditating on the greatness of our God? These great songs help us do that. Well, open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Uh, we've, been, uh, we've been working through a series on the one another's of Scripture. Uh, how does Scripture exhort us to te- uh, treat one another, to view one another, to live with one another? And uh, we're just going to do a quick inventory right now just to kind of summarize and get caught up. We've uh, looked at instructing one another, just uh, the exhortation to be diligent in God's Word so that we can uh, speak the truth uh, in love to one another. We talked about uh, receiving one another, what it is to accept one another uh, and walk with one another. We've talked about honoring one another, uh, thinking of other people more highly than we think of ourselves. We've talked about being devoted to one another, what it means to lift one another up, what it means to uh, bear the burdens of one another. We've talked about living in harmony with one another, greeting one another, serving one another, agreeing with one another, being hospitable to one another, being kind to one another, what it is to be compassionate and forgiving toward one another. And last week, we talked about what it is to love one another. All of these one another's bring us to a place where we begin to recognize how to walk as Jesus walked, how to love as Jesus loved, and how to matter in a world that desperately needs Jesus because Jesus matters. And so today we're going to be addressing another one another, and it's addressing one another. How and what we speak to one another and why. And we're going to see four characteristics. This this addressing one another falls into a context of being spirit-filled. So we're going to look at four characteristics of spirit-filled address, of what it means to be a spirit-filled individual, what it means to be a spirit-filled church, and what it means to address one another uh, in a spirit-filled way. So I'm just going to ask you all to stand if you're able, and we're going to read this text. It's Ephesians 5. We're going to read uh, verses 15 through 21. We're going to pray, and then we're just going to dive right into it. Ephesians 5 Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you. We gather together in your name this morning, seeking encounter with you. We ask that you would address us now. As we've addressed one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs already, we ask, God, that you would speak to us in your word. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to be able to see? 
Would you open our ears to be able to hear, and would you be plowing up the soil of our hearts that the seed of your word would take root and grow and produce fruit 40 and 60 and 100-fold? We ask you for this. We believe you for this. We would see Jesus this morning, and we would be transformed by what we see. So please do a marvelous work in our eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name for Jesus' glory. Amen. And amen. So verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Here is the context very quickly. So Paul, uh, Paul is addressing the Ephesian church. It's about 62 AD. Paul's about two years away from being martyred. He left the Ephesian church last about five years ago or so. He spent two or three years there uh, pouring into the church, teaching them, exhorting them, helping them to grow up into maturity. And this was a mature church. He planted it probably 10 years prior and then went back and revisited. And it was a mature church being filled with good works, uh, being known uh, as being vibrant, well-organized, fruitful. This was a fairly mature church. They had They had elders. You can read a little bit about Paul's last visit to Ephesus in Acts 20. Uh, And so he says to them, I'm going away. You're never going to see my face again. And they weep because they loved him and he loved them. And then they pray with him, evidencing uh, their maturity, and then he leaves. And so now uh, he finds himself in Rome roughly five years later, and he's under house arrest. He's appealed to Caesar The emperor at the time is Nero, who is known for his cruelty and brutality, and he's under house arrest, and so he writes to the Ephesians. He knows he's not going to see them again, and he wants to give them one last exhortation. He knows that the fierce wolves are coming. He says that in Acts 20 before he leaves, and so what he does is he writes this letter, and he recounts their faith journey to them. He recounts that at one time they were far off, but because of the blood of Christ, they have been brought near. They've been made citizens of a new kingdom. They've been made family with the living God. And so he writes to remind them of this because they're going to need to know this. And he prays for them. There are two prayers in this book. The first prayer Uh, He prays for wisdom, that they would have uh, wisdom, that they would have knowledge of Jesus, that the eyes of their uh, hearts would be enlightened to know three things. The hope to which he has called. Do we know the hope to which we are called? Is that present in our mind all the time? He prays that they would know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. Do we know the riches of the glorious inheritance that we are and that we stand to receive if we persevere to the end? He prays that they would know what is the immeasurably great power toward those who believe. What is that immeasurably great power toward us who believe? The immeasurably great power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. Amazing. And then he prays again later on that God would grant them the power through the Spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. So that they would be filled with the fullness of God. Are we filled with the fullness of God? Are we? And then he erupts in this doxology in the famous uh, Ephesians 3.20. Where he says, Now to him who is able to do far abundantly than we can ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he's recounted this faith journey, all this amazing stuff that God is doing in and through them, and then he erupts in doxology, just praising God for this. And then he says, now because of all of this, you need to walk in a manner worthy. You need to walk in a manner worthy of what? The God of very God. The living one, the creator, the perfect one. Walk in a manner worthy, not as Gentiles, in the futility of a darkened mind, but walking as children of light, imitating God, walking in love as Christ walked in love. This is what he's exhorting them to. And so then we we arrive in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, be careful. Watch carefully how you're living. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Not as unwise, but as wise. And look at verse 16. Making the best use of the time. So he's exhorting them to live carefully, live wisely, use their time wisely. Why? They're doing well. It's a vibrant church. It's a fruitful church. They're doing good works. What's the problem? Well, look at the end of verse 16. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. The days are evil. That's just not a Joel Osteen moment. (laughs) Because the days are evil. Paul knew that the wolves were coming. Fierce wolves that he says, not sparing the flock speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. He says in Acts 20, when he's warning the elders there. See, Paul's concern is deception. Lies that would take the people of God away from the power of God and the inheritance of God. And it's the same for us today. The days are evil. Malcolm Muggeridge, a great A British journalist and and philosopher and theologian says, the depravity of humankind is at once the most empirically verifiable fact while at the same time the most intellectually resisted. In other words, just look around. We see what God declares true about humanity without him. Lying, cheating, stealing, adulterating. The days are evil. And what's worse, because all of these things come from deception, they come from lies. So what's worth now is that truth is a threat. Right is wrong, wrong is right, good is evil, and evil is good. Truth is a threat to relationships. I can't tell the truth about who I am because I I need these relationships to fill me up. I can't tell the truth because I need a higher self-esteem, I need to feel good about myself, I can't tell the truth because it's a threat to my agenda, it's a threat to my advance, it's a threat to my achievement, it's a threat to my political career. Paul is most worried about deception in the church, and so he calls for wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Be wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, And he sets up this, he's contrasting foolishness and wisdom. So don't be unwise, foolish, be wise. Verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand. And understand what? Understand 
what the will of the Lord is. Do you know what, do you know what the will of the Lord is for your life? One of the most asked questions, particularly of young people or from young people is, what's God's will for my life? Pastor, tell me what God's will for my life is. Who am I going to marry? What kind of job am I going to get? Okay, we're going to make this really, really easy because Scripture makes it really, really easy. You want to know what God's will for your life is? You can write this down. So 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8. It starts off this way, and then I'm going to paraphrase. For this is the will of God. Can it get any more clear? This is the will of God. You ready? 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 Here we go. Here, here we go. Your sanctification. What is sanctification? We're going to get to talking about addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you ever listen to Shai Lin, he's got a, he rips you right through a catechism. It's called the atonement. It's really, really great. It goes through all of these big terms that we don't really define, and don't, but we throw them out all the time. So, so there's one part where it says, he, he's going through these terms, and, and it says, justification, God declared us righteous. Sanctification will be made into his likeness. Glorification, that's what happens at the beginning when God conforms believers perfectly to Christ's image. Okay? So sanctification is just being made into his likeness. So being conformed to Christ. What does this look like in 1 Thessalonians 4? That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor. For God has called us not for impurity, but in holiness. And then here's another one, 1 Thessalonians 5, the next chapter says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Very clear. God's will is that you walk with him in holiness. That's God's will for your life. And when you do that, you find the person you're supposed to marry or not. God leads life. You find the job you're supposed to have. You find the ministry you're supposed to get involved in. It's amazing when you just hold his hand, he leads you to green pastures and beside quiet waters. Amen? Okay, so that's God's will for you. This is a really long introduction. This is wisdom. Pursuing anyone's will but God's is foolish. That's why he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That is foolishness but be filled with the Spirit. There's wisdom, okay? So now what does it mean to not be drunk with wine? What's that all about? Well, when we get drunk with wine, that's debauchery. What that means is it's, 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 it dulls our senses. We lose control. We actually become less than human when we're not in control because humans are designed for that, okay? So do not be drunk with, with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit of God heightens our senses. It makes us sharper, it gives us control of ourselves. And in controlling ourselves, we start to be truly human. Less animal, controlled by instinct and fleshly desires, and more human, controlling ourselves. So be filled with the Spirit. Now, one other thing. What's the difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit? Jay, are you preaching a Pentecostal doctrine of a second Baptism in the Spirit. I was always taught that as soon as I'm converted, the Spirit is given to me and I'm indwelt by the Spirit. That is true. Paul's talking to Christians when he says, do not be foolish, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's talking to Christians. He knows very well that the Spirit of God has been given to them. What's the difference then between the indwelling of the Spirit and this filling that he's talking about? Well, it's like this. So if, if, 
If I, ha- if I have a house, if I am a house, and I am a house, how many of y'all know we are temple of the Holy Spirit? Together, collectively, and as individuals, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are a house. And I invite the Spirit into my house. And I say, make yourself at home in the living room. And the Spirit goes into the living room and says, hey, thanks, this is great. I really like this. I like the decor. And then the Spirit starts to wander and wanders into the kitchen. And you say, yeah, make yourself at home in the kitchen. Spirit says, no problem. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, I'm going to make you a meal. And so you receive and you eat. And then the Spirit starts to wander a little bit more. Spirit goes down to the basement and you say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 you can't go down there. Why? Well, there's some things down there that, well, that's just my, that's just kind of my secret place. Spirit says, okay. Starts to wander upstairs. Oh, no, no, don't go up there. You can't go into my bedroom. Why not? Well, because there's some things in there that they're just kind of my things. You're not going to like them very much. So the, fear, the spirit is not able to fill the whole house because you've got it filled with other things. But he can have the living room. He can have the kitchen. Okay? So being filled with the spirit means opening up every room in the house and say, you can go everywhere. And if there's any decor that you don't like, get rid of it. I want to be filled with you. This is what Paul's getting at here. The days are evil. Loved ones, hear me. Hear God's word. We need a filling with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that we've got to get rid of some things in some room so he can come in. When we quench the spirit, when anything that is not God-honoring occupies our minds, occupies our spaces... We need a filling with the Spirit so that we can act wisely and live wisely in a treacherous and evil day. Amen? Um, An illustration I heard one time was that we have a radio, and there's two volumes on the radio. One is for the Spirit, and one is for the world. And when the world volume is cranked up so loud, we can't hear the Spirit. We need to turn that volume down until it clicks off. (laughs) And then we need to turn the other dial so that we hear God. There's another analogy for this idea of filling, okay? Now, since we've covered all that, now we can get into where I really want to focus. There are four characteristics of this spirit-filled living, okay? And the first one is true saturated address. We're going to spend the bulk of our time here because this is the one another in this particular text. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So do not be drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And these next four points here are the result of being filled with the Spirit. Okay, so if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we're looking for these things. These things are going to happen because that's what the Spirit produces in us. Okay, but there are also things that we do to act in obedience in order to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so being filled with the Spirit is something that the Spirit does, but we have to do the opening and we have to do the emptying so that He can fill, okay? So these are things that we want to aim toward, and these are also evidences of being filled by the Spirit. The first one is this, truth-saturated address. Look at verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, immediately, 
we, we think of singing, and we should. But some of us don't like singing. Some of us aren't very good at singing, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. God hears the beautiful heart melody, and that's what he cares about. Some of us, some of us only like hymns. Some of us only like contemporary music. Some of us only like reflective stuff, and some of us only like upbeat, happy stuff. But the truth is that addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is commanded all throughout Scripture. The overwhelming testimony of Scripture all through the Old Testament, any time that the people of God approach the presence of God, they're singing. They're singing and there's instruments. Um, when, when they build a temple and then, and then dedicate the temple, when they build a tabernacle and, and set it up and dedicate the tabernacle, when they move the Ark of the Covenant from this place to that place, there were people assigned as singers. It says right in the Word, get the singers. And then they had instrumentalists come. And, and it was just a great, uh, joyous song from start to finish. That's really the liturgical context for worship of Yahweh. It's commanded. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible. 400 of them. And there are at least 50 direct commands to God's people to sing. We must sing. One thing I noticed from this church the day we got here is that y'all sing. It's wonderful. And it's godly. And it's one way that we open ourselves so that we can be spirit-filled. And it's one evidence of being spirit-filled. Um, so we're commanded to sing. And also, God gives us this as a wonderful gift to be able to express joy and lament, both of those things. A third of the Psalms, which is the songbook in the Bible, a third of the Psalms are lament. And here's what's great about singing. Even if you start with lament, singing is a God-designed pathway to joy. So we're commanded to sing. It gives us expression for the things that we feel and the experiences that we have. It also strengthens us for trial. In, uh, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, um, as soon as Jesus and his disciples got finished uh, the Passover supper, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, wherein Jesus was betrayed by Judas, what did they do? They finish up dinner, they get ready to go, and the word says that they sang a hymn. Jesus is equipping himself and his disciples with strengthening for what was going to be the greatest trial that has ever hit the, the cosmos. It's also about warfare. Singing is warfare. I have a friend who, who, who does a lot, just the, the ministry that he, uh, that he operates in um, is, is spiritual warfare. Um, and I don't know how really to say this other than like they'll be attacked in the middle of the night and he doesn't know it's coming and God wakes him up and he gets up and he and his wife sit in bed and they sing. They sing at the top of their lungs. We'll talk about what they sing, uh, but, but singing is, is also about warfare. In Acts 16, this is so crazy. In Acts 16, that's why we got to be true saturated. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail. Cold, probably hungry, it's damp, and they're singing and praising God. And what happens? The jail busts wide open. The jailer goes, oh shoot, I've had it. My, my prisoners are going to escape because that's what prisoners do. And so he pulls out his sword and he's going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. Imagine that you're the Philippian jailer. Oh my God, what are you doing here? You guys should be gone. I'd be long gone. Paul says, yeah, that's not our MO. 
We're about building the kingdom. And you're the next block. And so he shares Christ, the reason he's still there, enduring the trial and the suffering. And the jailer goes, oh man, gives his life to Christ. His whole family gives his life to Christ. And the kingdom is advanced. So singing, singing is part of warfare. Jehoshaphat, one of the good kings in Judah in 2 Chronicles 20, the whole nation is surrounded by the Ammonites, by the Moabites, and by Mount Seir, three nations that were hostile toward Israel, wanted to wipe them off the face of the map. So Jehoshaphat's like, I don't know what to do. So he gathers the whole nation of Judah. They get on their faces, and they worship. And the, and the word says, when they started singing, God said an ambush wiped out all three nations. This is the God that we serve. He's a great God, and he's given us this great tool of singing. So we're commanded to sing. It gives us expression. It strengthens us for trial. It's warfare. It's also worship we see all over the Psalms. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will, I will, I will. And it's ways that we ascribe glory to God, praise, thanksgiving, Declaring his greatness, we're commanded all over the Psalms to declare the great works of the Lord. Here's a little evangelism tip. Get truth saturated because then it comes out of you and you can declare the greatness of the God that you serve. You don't have to go to evangelism class. Just get before the Lord. He'll fill your mouth. Get fired up. Singing also helps us build one another up. We actually teach theology and we catechize ourselves with the songs that we sing. That's why Pastor John and I, we spend time looking over songs, especially new songs. Hey, can, is this something that we can in good conscience teach? Because we catechize ourselves. C.J. Mahaney, who is an American preacher, um, he says that the songs in, in your worship service, that's your take-home theology. How do you know that Jesus loves you? For the Bible tells me so. Right? Like, we catechize our kids with singing. And that's one of the great gifts in singing. And we encourage and remind one another truths about God, ourselves, and the world. And then here's, here's kind of my last, like, sort of sub-point here under being truth-saturated, why we sing. God sings. Do you know that? Are you aware that God sings? We actually serve a singing God. So why, why do we sing? All those other reasons, but we sing because we're like our Father in heaven and he sings. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. A God who sings over his kids, I can't even... Man... That picture makes me weep. So why do we sing? We sing because we need truth-saturated address. We address one another with God's truth. We're called to be a people who are truth-saturated. And spirit-filled people sing truth. Amen? Can I, can I just pull up Psalm 96? 
So we, we read this responsive psalm this morning, Psalm 96. It's a really good, I, I didn't, we put this up before I even had the sermon prepped. So it just, it's just, it's perfect. Um, praise, the, praise the Lord who works ahead of us. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this and read through with me, if you will, like you don't have to read it out loud, but just like, re- like really think about this. There, everything we just talked about, there's command in here, there's expression of joy and lament, there's strengthening for trial, there's warfare, there's worship, there's ascribing glory to God, there's building others up in this psalm. I, I, like, let's have this mind as we, as we approach everything that we do. It has to matter. Listen, psalm 96 Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. There's a command. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. There's the exhortation to declare his greatness. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Do you really believe that he does marvelous things? And, 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 and so in those first three verses, like sing, 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 declare, tell. Why? Verse four. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared among all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in all his faithfulness. We are called to be a truth-saturated people, and so we sing it so that it gets in there. So those are, those are psalms. And by the way, the context of this, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it seems to be a context of public or corporate worship. And, and addressing is just like speaking formally. John gave us an address at the very beginning of the service. Kind of a state of the union address. Here's where we're at. It's a formal address. And so our worship services ought to be characterized by true saturated address. Psalms, which are Old Testament scripture, just designed to be sung with instrumental uh, accompaniment. Now, hymns comes from a, a word, hideo, and really just means songs that give honor and praise and thanksgiving. So when we say, hey, you know what, I want to sing the old hymns. There are old hymns and there are new, new hymns. Hymns are just extra biblical writings that, that give honor and praise and thanksgiving to our God. And then spiritual songs, and the idea there is this impromptu or spontaneous or unrehearsed eruption of praise, not about God, but to him. So we sing to encourage one another. We sing because of the horizontal benefit, but then also we sing because we're worshiping a living God. Okay, this is why we sing. And so 
One characteristic of spirit-filled living in community, spirit-filled worship, is truth-saturated address. The second one is Christ-exalting worship. Look at verse 19. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Heart in the Bible, anytime you see it, just think the whole inner person. Intellect, emotion, and will. And this has to be happening in our own personal life if it's to happen corporately. So Christ-exalting worship marks the Spirit-filled person, the Spirit-filled church. Christ-exalting worship. And this is a matter of cultivating the home garden. For too many years, as a young man, I went to church and looked really good at church. And I was confining the Spirit to one room in my house, in my personal life. And I fear, looking at much of the Western church today, that this is true of the vast majority of us. So we want to develop truth-saturated address that comes from Christ-exalting worship. And here's the third characteristic, an attitude of gratitude. So be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude marks a Spirit-filled Christian. Gratitude marks a wise Christian. The Christian who is always tending that home garden. And notice, what are we supposed to be thankful for and when? Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always. But what if I don't feel it? You know, today, one of the greatest crimes is, is, is to be inauthentic. If I don't feel it, I'm not doing it because it's not authentic. Hear me. Scripture doesn't give us that luxury. And if we properly understand how the intellect and the emotion and the will operate, we lead our emotions like a dog. How many of you have walked a dog and the dog wants to go that way because he's either afraid of a bridge or a plastic bag or he sees a dog or he, like, he smells another dog or he sees a ball? And we lead the dog. The dog doesn't lead us. So we lead the emotions with the mind that is truth saturated, okay? By exercising our will, which is choice, decision. Gratitude is a choice. And I'll just tell, like, I struggle with that. Sometimes there's suffering in the world. There's suffering that we experience and it's hard to do. But we need to be spirit-filled because now we have a power that can overcome. Amen? Gratitude is a choice. And an attitude of gratitude, I know it's cheesy, I did it on purpose so that it would stick. An attitude of gratitude marks the spirit-filled Christian. Thanking God always for what? Everything. Let's practice this, okay? And that will affect how we address one another. I heard it said one time, if you aim at the moon and miss, at least somewhere you're in the stars. Okay? So if we, if we aim for gratitude, and we're not going to be perfect at it, 
uh, but, we're, but we're opening and emptying more of ourselves so that the Spirit can fill us, okay? Here's number four. The fourth characteristic that marks a Spirit-filled living, Spirit-filled community, Spirit-filled worship is a position of submission. So be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, look at it submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the fourth result of being spirit-filled is submission to one another, a willing submission to one another. And also the fourth way that we can open ourselves and empty ourselves so that we can be filled by the Spirit is to submit to one another. Now the application here is much broader than just the context of corporate worship or or addressing each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Because Paul goes on to say, here are the ways and here are the, the, the context that we find for mutual submission. Husbands and wives, fathers and children, uh, slaves and masters. But applying this just specifically to us here in our corporate address Submission can look like, hey, you know what? Your style's your style. We're singing a song in your style. I'm okay with that. I'm glad that you're happy. Right? Oh, I didn't get to sing my favorite song. I haven't sung it in a month. Well, sing it at home. <laughs> right? It's supposed to be singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So a, a, a spirit of submission is, hey, you know what? That's okay. That was your favorite song? That's great. I'm happy for you. I'm glad that you've been built up and edified. Also, in our corporate gathering, and our corporate address, there's also roles. Sometimes we have seasons for roles. Um, can, I, can I tell you guys a secret? I might not do this in the second service because it'll be recorded. But the first time I ever sang out loud publicly for anyone was the morning I had to lead singing here. It was terrifying. And I resisted it. John, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, I'm like, Lord, like, remove this cup from me. (laughs) Or this thorn in my side. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. You know what he said? My grace is sufficient for you. You're doing it. Because this is the season. I had to submit to that. And I didn't always well, and I still don't always well, but, (laughs) Right? So sometimes we have roles in our corporate worship and in our corporate address that don't feel good. Sometimes they feel too good and we don't want to let them go. But there are seasons for these things. And the spirit-filled Christian says, let the seasons change if it's for the good of one another. That's what mutual submission is about. And now look at verse 21. Submitting to one another. Now here's the key. How do we submit to one another? How do we get to that place? Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have to be submitted to Jesus. And this is the crux of spirit-filled living. We have to be submitted to Jesus. Not submitted to pornography. Not submitted to money. Not submitted to um, uh, um, other selfish ambitions. But submitted to Jesus. If we are having a hard time submitting to others... Think about this now. Put it in the context of your own life. If we're having a problem submitting to others, it's because we are having a problem submitting to Jesus. If we're having a hard time submitting to others, it's because we are not submitted to Jesus. And I just want to jump up. 
can we, can we jump to Philippians 2? At the back there. Thanks for this. The reason I'm going here, there are a bunch of hymns in the New Testament that just magnify Christ. You ought to read them. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. But here's Philippians 2, 5 to 11. This is, this is a hymn that they sang. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are the hymns that are in God's word that the early church sang, and these are the hymns that we need to saturate ourselves with so that we can produce a Christ-exalting worship that is full of gratitude and comes from a position of submission. The days are evil, loved ones, and the time is short. Do you have that sense? We're way too focused on the here and now. We need wisdom. We need a filling of the Spirit. We must obey so that we are truth-saturated in our gathering, Christ-exalted in our worship, thanksgiving in our attitude, and in a proper position of submission. And I'm going to end with this. There is a warning here. So Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he knew that the wolves were coming. He knew that deception was coming. Lies were coming. Lies designed to kill our love for Jesus and each other and replace him with a love for perishable things. So the next we actually hear of the church at Ephesus this growing and mature and missional church, the next we hear of it is in the last book of the Bible. In Revelation 2, Jesus himself appears to John and tells him to write to the churches in Asia. And here's what he says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not known weary, or you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The days are evil. We need wisdom. We must be spirit-filled. We need the power of God. And we are shown here that we ought to address one another. 
with truth-saturated song, to pursue one another with Christ-exalting worship, cultivate an attitude of gratitude, and assume a position of submission. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, and thank you, God, for the faithful servants that have gone before us, the faithful, faithful servants that you have gathered around us who are saturated by your truth. We ask that you would make us more truth-saturated. Lord, would you give us a hunger and a thirst for your word? Would you give us the the desire to discipline ourselves to be able to, um, to soak in your word, to mine the truths of your word, to commit it to memory. Lord, would you give us the humility to sing and not worry about what people think? Lord, would you give us the ability to overlook uh, the, the preferences that may not be to our taste, Lord, that we can see Jesus and be saturated with him? Would you, would you move in our hearts, Lord, that we would want nothing more than the glory of God and the exalting of Jesus Christ? Lord, would our cry be, whom do we have in heaven but you, O oh God? And there's nothing on earth we desire but you. And would you, would you cause us to be able to see what you've actually done for us? This great sacrifice that has, that has redeemed us and saved us and reconciled us to you, but has also imbued us with this great power. We want to see you work in our midst, God. We want to see you save souls. We want to see you do things that, that we cannot even think or imagine. Forgive us for forgetting that you can. And make us thankful, Lord. Would we be truly thankful from the heart? singing and making melody to you. And in all of these things, God, would you remind us that we are the creature, you are the creator. Would you remind us that, that the best of us are more like the worst of us than we are like you. You are so far above. And so would you give us just a great heart for one another, to be patient with one another to pour into one another. Get us off our couches, God. Let us be okay with the mess that it takes to walk alongside those of us who are hurting, those of us who are weak, those of us who are immature. And Lord, I count myself as the chief of sinners. God, would you do this? That Jesus would be exalted in our eyes, that we would, that we would be like Moses upon hearing the proclamation of who you are and just seeing the back of you and seeing your goodness, that we would fall on our faces and beg you to take us as your possession. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. We pray these things for Jesus' glory. Amen.